Robert Gehorsen, today's guest, is a contributor to the Carbon Almanac, which is both a book and an ongoing project to educate people about climate change. The project is an all-volunteer effort led by Seth Godin. Robert will share insights about his work and his superpower. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. Welcome to the Superpowers for Good show. Robert, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. I've been so looking forward to it. Oh, thank you, Devin. It's really a, a, a privilege and pleasure to be here to talk with you. Well, it, it, it is such a, a joy to talk to someone who has been a part of this really vital project uh, with the with the book. Uh, you know, it's just uh, you know an amazing idea that that you have brought to fruition with the. Uh, Carbon yes. Almanac. Uh, I mean, really a big deal. So, Robert, tell me, what, what brought you to this project? Uh, well, what brought me to the project, and here for for podcast audience, I'll show what the book looks like. So when you're searching on Amazon or go to a bookstore, you know what to look for. Yeah. Um, so this this project really um, was the, the brainchild uh, of a of a old good friend of mine, Seth Godin, who's known for many other books and entrepreneurship. And um, my involvement really started last summer before the project actually started when we were talking about what matters. You know, you reach a point in life where you just want to spend your time on things that matter uh, for a variety of reasons. And um, I think we all agree that climate is one thing that matters particularly for what we want to leave to future generations, something we'll talk about more, I hope, later. And um, as, as we were talking about it, as Seth and I were talking about it, we sort of concluded, um, to the best of our knowledge, you know, the, the, the problem is not one of, is the science good? Uh, do we have technology and innovation to address it? It's the mystery of human behavior. Why we don't activate our brains and our behaviors um, at a level that is appropriate to the emergency that's upon us. Um, so we had a nice talk, and a couple months later, um, um, uh, I got an email from Seth saying, hey, starting this project, want to be part of it. Long story short, a small group of people, 40 countries, about 300 people, most of whom did not know each other, came together in an online uh, collaboration platform called Discourse. Not Discord, Discourse. <laughs> um, and we had a publishing deal with Penguin to deliver this book. And um, well, you, you've written books, you know what the process is like and the time frames involved. So what I will say is that 300 people came together to set the editorial direction, research, write, edit, fact check, illustrate, design the infographics, design the book, mm -hmm. build a website, um, and deliver production-ready files to Penguin in five months. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. It's amazing. It is. Um, and I feel like saying, but wait, there's more. Yeah. We also built a pretty robust website. We wrote a free kids ebook, which is on the website, a teacher's guide for the almanac with Getty images, with their generosity. We 
created a photo book of climate change around the world, four podcast series, and a LinkedIn learning course. We're just getting started. So wow. this was not just about doing a book. It's really about a movement, I suppose. We're up to 2,500 people in 92 countries, all volunteer. Um, and it's really about giving people the facts and the information in a way and, and in, in, a, in a style and an accessible way so that they f can feel um, they can trust it and that they can say, what can I do? Because many of us who even accept that man-made climate change is a real thing are overwhelmed right, by the yeah. enormity of it. It's like, well, what can I do? This is a big systems problem. And the book tries to give you both the hope and the practical advice on what you can do. So that's it. It, it. it is. It is really a challenge, and I think you you hit the nail on the head, right? It's it's whether or not you believe in climate change as a as a human caused problem that can be solved. Mm -hmm. uh, it is an enormous problem uh, that is it can be discouraging, right? Some of the most passionate people. When we listen to them, um, we recognize that they are very profoundly discouraged, angry, and upset. And so trying to, to gather hope, action, and innovation out of that can sometimes be difficult. How have you worked with Seth and the rest of the team to create that uh, enough hope, enough optimism uh, to spur the action and innovation we need? That's a great question. I think um, perhaps the, 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 the easiest answer is that the project itself is a model um, of how people can support each other. Um, a little bit more about the internal workings of it. We have no hierarchy because there's no organization, right? It's just volunteers. And uh, you could imagine creating a, an artifact like this book is complex, right? And, and so people would simply say, you know what? I'll volunteer to lead writing the section on X. One person, a lawyer in San Francisco, realized we need a production management process, right? Things have to come in in a certain way at a certain time. She stepped up to basically be the managing editor. And so in a way, the, the sort of egoless goodwill, sense of common purpose um, that we modeled in creating all of this but the reason we talk about it is actually to say you can do this in other aspects of your life as it relates to climate. Um, and I'll give you an example. One of the pieces that I, I wrote about six or seven pieces in the Almanac, and um, I was not an expert <laughs> in any of it beforehand. But the one I find most interesting was a piece on um, really explaining that where you bank, where your checking and savings accounts are, makes a difference. And most of the country banks at the big four, Chase, City, so forth and so on. I do, and I have for over 30 years. And so I researched and I wrote and I realized, well, these are not the banks for me that actually espouse a kind of um, sustainability policy in their investments um, that I, that I want to support by having my, my checking and savings there. I'll move my money, and we explain how to do it. It is psychologically so hard. It is technically simple, psychologically hard. But when you do it, what we tell you is when you have done it, 
right to the bank and tell them why. Because they'll listen. They actually will listen to that and then post it on social media because others will see that someone they know did it. Yeah, so. that's really, it's a profound example. And it seems to me, Robert, that you, this is a model for how a lot of climate action can most productively happen, right? That individually, we have to take action, like moving our money from a bad bank to a good one, like driving an EV or driving less. Absolutely. We have to take personal action. Second thing is we've got to talk about it so other people know we're doing it, right? Right. And if you do something crazy like buy an EV and sell, you know, you've got to let the manufacturers know why you bought the EV, right? This isn't just because it's faster. It's it's because of climate change, right? It makes am a I, difference. Am I, I'm inferring a lot from what you're saying, but do you think I'm on the right track? Yes. The, the call it the, the social graph affects people's behavior. It affects our beliefs. Yeah. We like to think not, but we're more likely to believe things based on who's around us, either virtually or physically in our, in our network, than we are to arrive at those beliefs ourselves. Um, and so um, the constant, gentle, steady pressure of that really can make a difference. It's had an impact just in my conversations with, with my relatives, some of whom would be more inclined to, well, not even believe climate change is real, even though they live in a state that's racked by extreme weather. Um, yeah. But because I'm family, I could have a conversation. And when I explained why, in this case, sea level rise was a real thing and used a kitchen top example of water in a pot, they yeah. went, I never thought of that before. Change. Yeah. 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 It, it is. Uh, it is amazing the conversations we can have with our friends that they right. won't have or can't have with other people. Right. That That's they right. will ignore it. You know, we're all subject to this uh, confirmation bias. Right. So wherever we are, we're and. and and technology over the last 20 years has made this worse, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that we are, are constantly getting these feedback mechanisms that reinforce our, our worldview. Right. Um, uh, but this is so important. Uh, interesting insights. Robert, your career was not in climate per se, right? This isn't, uh, you, you aren't a PhD physicist who's been working on climate for the last two decades. What brought you from, tell, put us, help us understand the context for your role in this in terms of your career and your oh. life. Oof, that's, <laughs> so yes, I'm not a scientist though I, um, in fact, my academic background was in, um, in comparative religion and religious studies, which I would argue is not unrelated to the nature right. of the challenge we have. Yeah. Um, but it was not scientific, although my first, call it real job after college, was in publishing. Um, and I was a book editor. And um, I started actually with romance novels, but then um, ended up editing, um, you know, science books for general readers. Um, and this was the early 80s, so personal computing was just beginning. Um, and I found this really mesmerizing, that... Um, that there was something going on in science, even leaving aside technology per se, 
that I found compelling, and um, it shouldn't be just in the shouldn't have been just in the domain of scientists themselves to discuss. Anyway, I've had a career in in computer games and technology and ed tech, and I've done some startups in that space, um, and I've I've a very diverse uh, sort of career. You'd almost consider it a random walk, um, but it wasn't. But it led me to the present. And the way I described it to someone who was at a sort of similar, call it career or um, crisis of meaning and purpose point, was you need to decide if you want your productive activities to be like a prefix menu of a few choices or a buffet. And I said, it took me a long time to realize I like the buffet. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and it helps me feel of value to other people because um, uh, I like to connect things and I like to connect people um, uh, in ways that, that bring out something new. Um, and that led me to climate, right? And it wasn't, yes, it was, it was Seth and I talking about climate in the context of purposeful activities in life, as well as the sheer existential crisis of it. Um, but it was understanding the challenge of human and the mysteries of human behavior, um, both individual and um, call it collectively, socially. Um, you know, we're driven a lot by evolution, but we're not predetermined by it. And so, yeah, that's what, and one last thing I'll just say is it's interesting to come full circle back to publishing after yeah, 40 years. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I imagine that uh, the fundamental skills that you developed a few decades ago were all perfectly relevant, but there's a whole suite of technology that changes the day-to-day, -day, the practical side of that in some way. So interesting, interesting. Well, Robert, you have had a stellar career. You really have. You've accomplished a lot. And, and this uh, Carbon Almanac is a great feather in your cap. It's a great crowning achievement in some ways because it's so incredibly significant. As you think about your career, your success, your impact on the planet, uh, what do you see as your superpower? An excellent question. And I guess that's the purpose of these conversations, because no one likes to admit that they have a superpower. Um, uh, at least most people I know don't. Yeah. Um, but actually, um, working on this project with all these amazing people um, made me, um, you sort of confront the question of imposter syndrome, right? And so... Yeah. Um, this is not a superpower, but it was an accomplishment to overcome imposter syndrome without feeling like I'm necessarily special or expert or whatever. What I realized for me is the thing that, that gets, the, gets the neurons firing and a great deal of satisfaction is what I just mentioned before, this, this desire and ability to connect people and to connect ideas in ways that have a, a happy serendipity to them. Um, I spend a fair amount of my time actually mentoring undergrads at my alma mater. And as they get ready to go into the world, and college is the world too, but as they get ready to think about the, their work life, um, 
um, they are hesitant to ask, you know, oh, can you introduce me to someone in some field of this and that? And, and I say, you don't understand. You're thinking I'm viewing it as transactional. It's a great joy. It's for me, many of my peers and friends and colleagues. And this connectivity, um, I guess I've become good at it, if only because others appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the, there is kind of a disparate nature between connecting people and connecting ideas. And, and you're talking about bringing them together. That's really quite a skill. That's quite a talent, quite a superpower. Uh, can you think of a specific example, perhaps apart from the uh, Carbon Almanac, that where, where you used that that superpower and had a successful outcome? Well, there's one I'm actually involved with right now. So I've been mentoring. Um, one's still a student. One is a recent graduate. Um, uh, of my school, and they, like a lot of kids these days, you know, think nothing about being entrepreneurial. Of course, we have an idea, we're gonna make it happen. And, you know, technology does let people do that from anywhere. And in this case, one is in Jakarta, the other is in London. I'm sitting in Los Angeles and I'm, I'm just mentoring. And so we're going through questions. And so it is a financial literacy startup, right? And it is, I won't go into too much in the details, but it is, it is, it is a counter to the sort of trading frenzy approach of a lot of fintech these days. It is, it really requires a different mindset. And so as they've been thinking about product design and user experience and all that, I'm suggesting to them that they look at um, not just the research, but the actual implementations of applications that are in the mindfulness and well-being space. Because what I would say to them is, you are trying to help people develop a kind of self-regulation, even though they're thinking it's just about investing. It's really about self-regulation for thinking about timeframes. Um, so that would be an example. You'd never say, oh yeah, you want to look at a meditation app to learn about financial literacy. But to me, they're indelibly bonded to each other. Yeah. Well, it's great that you've got that clear example. I, I wonder if, if you were trying to coach someone on how to develop this ability to connect people and ideas, uh, how would you coach them to develop that skill, that ability to, to make it kind of a, a superpower? Hmm. Well, I don't think it's a universal. Um, I mean, some people, it's just a natural inclination. Others are sort of more focused about their own, call it performance per se. Um, but I think a prerequisite for it is a kind of... Um, enthusiasm for the world <laughs> um, and um, a sense of curiosity that things um, things might lead uh, uh, to unexpected places. Um, I've sort of developed much more of a sense of, of kindness for people that are struggling in some way or another. Um, and while you can't always do everything for them, um, you know, that, that, that desire to help inevitably leads to other connections. So I, I don't know if that fully explains it, but those are some of the well, those are great. Yeah, yeah. Great suggestions. Great help to us to figuring that out. Well, uh, Robert, I really appreciate you taking the time for this discussion. Um, uh, 
as we wrap up, I wonder if you would just take a minute and tell people, uh, you know, maybe why you're proud of the Carbon Albanac and your participation in that project, how people can find it, where they can find it, uh, and how they can connect with you if you're uh, willing to do that, even if it's social media, whatever the best way mm -hmm. is for you to connect. Sure. Well, the thing I'm proudest about with, with the Almanac um, has been that it gives me, at least, hope not only that that the climate emergency can be addressed, <laughs> um, but that this uh, will play a role in helping people have the conversations they need to have. So, uh, and, and even though it's a hundred percent volunteer effort. It's certainly something I plan to continue. We this is not stopping just because we published a book, right? So that's going to going to um, uh, continue. You can get yeah. the book obviously at, at uh, any major bookseller on Amazon. Um, I would actually suggest going to um, our website, which is thecarbonalmanac.org, um, and you'll see the full set of resources we have. Don't just get the book. Um, you know, look at the other things too. An important thing I do want to mention in, in our little time remaining is we in, we imagined that this book, you, you and I might know pretty much everything that we need to know. This was a book to share with others. So I'd even say get two, one for yourself and one yeah. for someone who really needs it. Um, yeah, that's a great point. Great, great suggestion. And lastly, um, to find me, uh, probably uh, I would say LinkedIn is probably the easiest, best way to do it. And it's just, you know, LinkedIn, Robert Gahorsam is my profile. There's no one else with that name. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Robert, uh, thank you. Thank you for taking the thank time you. to be with us today. And um, we really wish you every success in, in having this book and the extended project really make a difference in uh, reversing climate change because uh, we need it. We need it to we work. It. So thank you and, and good luck with it. Thank you. I really appreciate it. All righty. Let's do some good. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to the Superpowers for Good show. Twice each week, we host changemakers who share their impact, insights, and superpowers. Don't miss another episode. Subscribe today at superpowersforgood.com. That's superpowers, number four, good.com. Be super empowered. Get your copy of the book, Superpowers for Good, as an ebook, audiobook, paperback, or hardcover edition via your favorite online retailer. Interested in having me speak to your company, organization, or association? Visit devonthorpe.com. Then let's talk. Now, keep using your superpowers for good. Together, we can reverse climate change, improve global health, and eradicate poverty.